All right, good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord with you guys. I'm glad you came today. Glad you could join us. Glad to have our friends on Facebook. And I'm not sure we made it back on the radio yet. We've had a technical difficulty, not on our end. Somewhere between here and the radio station is a bad wire, and who knows if they can find it or not. So anyway, hopefully we're back on. They're going to try to do a different route, get us back on the radio. But we are certainly glad to be on Facebook Live this morning. And again, we are so glad that you are here. Hey, we're in week number five of Love Does, and we're at Love Dares. And you're saying, when does this end, Dwayne? Next week. Next week. Listen to this one. Here it is. Love sends and love goes. Next week is an incredible day at our church. We are commissioning and launching uh, Kim and Chris and Sonny to head to Spain. Um, they are leaving like the 11th, I think, or 12th of March, uh, that next week. And we have got a big celebration plan. We're going to give you the opportunity to bless them with a cash gift. And we're going to uh, do a commissioning service. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to have lunch together. It's going to be a great day. Clear your calendar. Mark your calendar. This is one of those things, you know, it, it took us 25 years to celebrate your, your 25th anniversary. And this is our, you know, we had Matt and, and, and a Bethany. A few years back, we played a role in that. But, but Kim and Chris are ours. They're ours. And we are going to stand with them and launch them and love them. So mark your calendar for next week. It's going to be a great time. Love sins and love goes. But today, it's love dares. You know, love is risky business. Love is risky business. If you, if you dare to love, you just run certain risks, okay? In fact, in fact, we, you know, we can say with certainty that, that love requires that you put yourself out there. You put yourself out there. And of course, I'm going to tell you something I know and you know that when you dare to love and when you put yourself out there, there's just a good chance you're going to get hurt. And you have to ask the question, then is it worth the risk? And I hope through the message today, we're going to show you that it is. And we've got a great example because, you see, when God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world, when he decided that we were worthy of redemption and he planned this great plan of salvation, he knew it was a risky business. He knew it was a risky business. He knew that Jesus would have to put himself out there. And when you put yourself out there, you're going to get hurt. And he came to die on a Roman cross, very similar to this, for the one express purpose that we could have forgiveness of our sins. And you know what? God would say it was worth it. Not that, not that we're worthy, not that we're worthy, but that it was worth it because he loved us so much. He loved us so much. You know, he wanted us to experience relationship with him. So today we're going to look at one of the iconic stories um, of the New Testament. It's found in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, this one, I mean, this is like if the world knows, they know like John three sixteen. you know. They kind of got that one. But they really, this is one they know. This is one. I mean, we even have like in the state of Illinois, we have a Good Samaritan law. Okay, so if you stop and help somebody, you can't be sued kind of thing going on. Okay, so this is a real iconic parable, and we want to look at it um, from a couple different perspectives. We're, we're going to look at it, and these, I figured out it's not chasing rabbits if you plan to go rabbit hunting. Okay, all right, so, so we're going to look at first off to make sure we understand about how you get to go to heaven, because it's right there in Scripture. We couldn't ignore that, so we're going to do that, and then we're going to look at this idea of, you know, how far or what are the limits of our love? Okay, I think this will be great. This will be fun. Okay, so Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The setup is um, we have a lawyer, okay, and he is an expert in the law, and he is going to challenge Jesus 
with a question, okay? And by the way, that's a lot like today, okay? We live in a very society that challenges everything we believe. Nothing wrong with that, okay? And I'm going to show you right off the bat how important it is that you be prepared to answer their questions. And I'm going to give you a secret weapon, okay? So it starts out like this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, the Bible says, An expert in the law stood up to test him. So he was, again, there's no pretext here. He is challenging Jesus. Now, the question he's going to ask then is not really sincere, okay? It's not really a sincere question, but that doesn't rob the question of the power that it has. So he he stands up. He's going to test the law. He's going to test Jesus and see um, if he can trap the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. Your words are important. You, you should be ready to defend your faith. You really need to know why you believe what you believe. And probably the best answer is not because the preacher said so. And In fact, kids, you've learned this. It's not because your mom and dad say so. That's just not the best answer that there is. But I'm going to give you something. We should be apologetically prepared to, to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to give you something stronger. Your words might be powerful, but your love is invincible. Write that one down. Your words are powerful, but your love is invincible. I mean, I'm telling you, when the authenticity of the love of God is played out uh, in our lives, it shuts up the most aggressive critic. It just does. It just does. So this guy stands up and says, Teacher, and here's where we get to the cross. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, we live in an I do society. Now, you know, if you're at a wedding, okay, if you're at a wedding, I do, that's a great time to say I do, okay? And don't let there, don't let there be that uncomfortable pause. Do you so-and-so pause? You know, I do. No, no, no. It's a great time. But when you're talking about eternal life, when you're talking about heaven, when you're talking about where you're going to spend eternity, you know, what I have to do, man, that's a, you know, that's a bad answer. What do I have to do? Because the truth is, we cannot do anything. There's nothing that we can do. But ingrained in us, ingrained in us, is the concept or the idea that heaven is a reward. You do something right, you get to go to heaven. That's just ingrained in us. And truthfully, honestly, nothing, nothing could be further than the truth. Did you know of all the religions, I find this very interesting, of all the religions in the world, now you pick it, it doesn't matter, pick any religion you want to, only Christianity is is a done religion. Every other religion is do, 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 do. Only Christianity is done. It's done. It's putting faith in what is done, not what you or I have to do. So it's hugely important. So when this guy asks this question, an expert in the law, okay, he, he says, okay, I know I need to do something. I need to do something. And your friends, if you witness to your friends, they're going to say, well, you know, you, what do I need to do then if I want to go to heaven? Does it involve like going to church? Does it involve like quitting this or starting that? Okay. What, what does all that mean? Okay. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Luke 10, 26, Jesus says, okay, all right, so what is written... In the law, um, how do you read it? What is written in the law, how do you read it? Now, now, you've got to ask the question, you know, why is he sending him to the law? 
but he wants them to see something. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, um, Paul says, therefore, no one. Now, somebody say no one. Okay, now see, I don't, you know, I know we sometimes really think we're good people, okay? And there are a lot of, quote, good people in the world, okay? But therefore, no one, Paul says, will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So there's no I do that will get you to heaven. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. But then Jesus does something like it seems out of character and goes, well, what does the law say? You know, how do you read it? Okay, now here's the deal. Jesus sent the man to the law not to be saved, but to be convicted. Jesus sent the man to the law not to be saved, okay, but to be convicted. Because by the works of righteousness in God's sight, you know, no one, no one can be declared righteous. No one can be declared righteous. So, so Jesus sends him to the law to help him see his lostness and sinfulness. And that's what you need to understand about God's law. God's law is not a pathway to heaven, okay? It's designed and made by God to show us our sin and our need for salvation. Let, let me read to you the second part of Romans 3.20. The first part said this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Here's what Paul finishes. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So here's an expert in law, knows all about the law, knows all about God. What must I do to be saved? What's the law? You know, you're an expert in law. What does the law say? How do you read it? Okay. And Jesus is wanting to, to see, once he looks at the law, that he is in need. He's in need. Well, the guy gives a really good answer. I mean, he gives a really good answer. Here's what he says in verse number 27. He answered, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. That word love is the agape word. It's a um, dying, sacrificial love. It's not, a, it's not a, a flippant love. It's not a puppy love. It's a deep, sacrificial love. So he says, well, you need to love God with this life that's devoted in every area. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your heart is your center of emotions and your affections and all your desires, okay? So love God emotionally, all right? Then he says you need to love God with your soul, and that's the core being. That's the core being. That's at, that's at the core of who you are. It's the essence of your being. With all your strength, with all your, um, your, all your drive and all your will. And then with your, all your mind, which is your intellect. So he says, you know, the law says that we are to love God with this intensity that hits all our emotions, our soul, our strength, and our mind. Okay? And then the lawyer keeps going. And then give him credit for that. He goes, and your neighbor is yourself. Wow. That's it. Love God, love people. That's it. He hit it right on the head. Love God always and completely and love your neighbor. Okay? Now look what Jesus says. Don't miss this. He says in verse 28, you've answered correctly. You answered correctly. Now do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. Now here's the deal. Do the impossible, and you can have the impossible. See, here's the deal. It is not possible. It is not possible to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot love God that way without Jesus, without intervention from God. 
So if you, if you could do the impossible, then you can have the impossible. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want you to understand, you know, to make it very clear, you know, it's not improbable. You know, say, well, you know, well, in a rare case, maybe somebody could pull this off. No, it's really impossible. Well, maybe if somebody was really, really, really good. I mean, my grandmother was really, really, really good. No, it's really, really, really impossible. So that leaves us in a lurch, okay? Because the guy got it right. We got to love God totally and completely. We got to love God with everything we are. We got to love God with a totally devoted life. And we got to love people like we love us. Now he's got a problem. Because Jesus said, you've answered correctly. If you want to live eternally, you do that, okay? And you can live. So we're facing an impossible situation. So the lawyer makes the best of a bad situation. He wants to limit the effects of the law. And so he says, wanting to justify himself, okay, he asks Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? So he wants to limit the demands of the law. He wants to limit that impact, that part of it. You know, God's easier to love than people sometimes, okay? So he wants to limit the impact of that. So he says, well, exactly who is my, my neighbor? How, how far does my love have to go? How far do I have to love? Okay? And that, boy, no way people are, that's just really, really hard. You know, we are limit people. I mean, you remember when you stood before a preacher and you did those wedding vows thing? You know, promised to love you in sickness and health and in richer and poor till death do us part. And you meant that. And then he cheated on you. He cheated on you. And all of a sudden, that rich or poor, sickness and health, the death to us part thing, somehow loses its power. Or she cheated on you. And all of a sudden, that commitment that we thought we had becomes like water. It runs through our fingers. It runs through our fingers. So what's the limits? I mean, do wedding vows have limits? And does this have any limits? Who then is my neighbor? And that's how we enter into this awesome, awesome story or parable from the lips of Jesus. It goes something like this. In verse 30, the first part, so Jesus took up the question. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't run from questions? I like that. I like that. So he took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. From Jerusalem to Jericho. Amen. Now, because Jesus is a Jew, he's talking to a Jew, to a Jewish audience, we are very much allowed to presume that this man in this story is a Jew. Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. In just a moment, we're going to see probably something else about this man. He probably was well off. He probably was a position in a position of authority and power. Maybe not, but probably. Here's the deal. The journey from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles. 17 miles. Now, this is not the Jericho walk around seven times on the seventh time the walls fall down. That's the Old Testament Jericho. This is the New Testament Jericho. And it's a town promoted and flaunted by none other than King Herod. And, you know, Jerusalem was here. Jericho was here. Jerusalem was 3,000 feet up. 
And Jericho was in the valley 3,000 feet down. So in winter, logically, the mountains are going to be colder and the valleys are going to be warmer. So Herod builds his palace, his winter palace, in Jericho. He builds three beautiful palaces, even had swimming pools there. Okay? So that's where the guys leave Jerusalem, okay, and go down to this place called Jericho. And it's a drop of 3,000 feet, 17 miles, and goes right smack dab some very dangerous mountains. Now, they're dangerous for more than just they were rocking, you could fall off the edge, okay? They're also a place where thieves could hide and hurt you. Now, here's what's amazing, too. The commentaries agree that a lot of the people, somebody say a lot, a lot, a lot of the people who traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho were government officials, upper-class people, and those high in temple work. A lot of the population that traveled, it's not all, not all, it's more like an exclusive highway, but a lot of the people would travel this route and they were affluent and they were wealthy. Okay? So here they are then in this rocky path, okay, that slowly descends. There are curves and rocks. And again, it was a great place for thieves to hide. And see, I love this because Jesus chose this journey between these two cities to make his point. Because it really adds validity to it. Okay? So we had these, this guy traveling this road, okay? And there are thieves and robbers everywhere. Okay? It's a dangerous, dangerous place. It's a dangerous path. It's a den for thieves. And it's a place to be feared. Now, let me pause. And this is one of those intentional rabbits. Have you lived long enough to know there are dangerous paths? I mean, this guy, again, by the way, this whole story is a parable. So Jesus is making it up, but it's based on facts, okay? So this guy would have been probably a guy who traveled this route frequently, okay? So he knew. He knew that this was a dangerous way to go. It was the only way to go, but it was a dangerous way to go. He knew that, okay? So what do you do when you're facing a dangerous path in life? What are you going to do? Who are you going to turn to? Well, you know, um, Psalm 121.12, if you've been to any of my funerals recently, there's a couple of certainties. I'm probably going to get to Psalm 121.1 and 2 somewhere near the beginning, and I'm going to get to John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me, by the time we get to the end. That's just, I love it. I love it. So, so I want you to see, what are you going to do with the dangerous paths of life? What should this guy have done in the dangerous paths of life? Because you often, listen, you can't avoid danger. You, just because you become a Christian doesn't guarantee you a perfect life. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you never get sick. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you never lose your job. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean your spouse is always going to be faithful. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean your kids are going to be perfect. Okay? God, you know, salvation does not guarantee a perfect world. It guarantees a perfect eternity. <laughs> all right, I like that, all right? So, so here we go. So Psalm 121 says this. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. I love this. I love this. Now, keep in mind, this is so, I mean, this is like perfect, okay? So imagine you're going from Jerusalem and you're going to Jericho. There's all these mountains and curves between there. And you're sitting in Jericho, the gate, gate of Jerusalem, I'm sorry, the gate of, of Jerusalem. And you're going, man, I'm looking at this dangerous path. Where am I going to get help? That's what it says. 
I left my eyes to the hills. Well, where does my help come from? Who can I turn to? I know there's danger ahead. I know there's thieves and robbers. I could fall off the side of a cliff and die. What am I going to do? And then he asked that question. Where does my help come from? You're going to need it. Where does it come from? Now, now here's the deal. You can go it alone. Every person today, and particularly in our culture, choose to go it alone. I can't believe in God. You know, that's a fairy tale. Come on. We live in the 21st century. I think that's the one we're in. The 21st century. Wait, I've got time for God. Come on. I, you know, we're, we're more intellectual now. There is no God. You can try that. It's not going to end well. I always love to tell people when they say, I don't believe in your God. Well, whoa now. See, if I'm wrong, I've lost nothing. I'll live a great life. If you're wrong, you lose everything. So be slow to throw God out in the garbage, if you will. Come on. See, if you're going to pick a God, pick a good one. I mean, people, see, people say they're atheistic. They're not. They're not. Uh, they, you know, the God of materialism, the God of wealth, the God of power, the God of prestige, the God of physique. I mean, people worship all kinds of gods in America. But here's the deal. See, wealth can pay your medical bills, but it can't heal your body. See? Prestige can make you feel better about yourself, but it can't change your heart. And none of those gods can do anything about eternity. None of them. None of them can. So if you're going to pick a god, pick a god that can get the job done. That's a good place for an amen. Pick a god who can get the job done. Well, here's what the psalmist says. Um, my help comes from the Lord. Okay, that's a good say. We can stop there and go, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. But he goes on. You know, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, that's the kind of God I want. I want the God that figured out, you know, he made all of this, which means he's bigger than all of this, and he can control all of this, including all my weird circumstances and all my crises in life. My God, who made all of this, is bigger than whatever I'm going to face. That's cool. That's cool. So if you need a God, if you're looking at the hills, and you're looking at life, and you're going, hmm, you know, I, I need some help here. Okay? Don't go it alone. Don't go alone. And don't put your faith and trust in false gods that can't work. Okay, in America, we got a bunch of false gods. Get one that can work. And the one that works is Jesus Christ, God Almighty. Okay? He's the maker of heaven and an earth. You know, in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. By the way, that's it. I was watching one of those science shows. And you know the ones that try to explain how all this happened? And I looked at my wife and said, they want me to believe this. Let me tell you something. Anytime you're all panicking, oh, they have all the answers. They are clueless. They are clueless. They don't have an idea. And they make, if the Bible sounds like a fairy tale, the non-creation stories are are fairy tales on steroids. They don't have a clue. So they come up with something because they're clueless. <laughs> I'm not being too strange. Well, you're just a little old preacher and something. I know, but I'm smart enough to believe the Bible. You might try that. 
Alright? So, so some trust in chariots and some horses, but we trust the name of the Lord our God. And Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge. He's our strength. A very present help in trouble. So there you go. You're going to face danger. Don't face it alone. And don't face it with a false God. Face it with the Creator of God. The God who made it all. Well, in verse number 30, the second part, okay, um, the Bible says, and I put a he in there, and he... This guy, this Jew, fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him, they beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Wow. You remember that verse where Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy? This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. They, they, they took his stuff, they took his, his clothing, his money, anything else he had on his body. They took his health and his peace. They beat him up, and they nearly took his life. They left him dead. So here's this guy. He's naked. He's hurt, okay, and he's half dead. Enter actors number one. In verse 31 and 32, the Bible says, So a priest happened to be going down that road. And again, think again. They would serve in Jerusalem, and not uncommonly, they would serve in Jerusalem for a week, and then they would go home. And many of them lived like a suburb of Jerusalem, 17 miles away. They would live in Jericho. Okay? So it was very common. So a priest happened to be going down that road, and he saw him. He passed by on the other side. All right? Verse 32. Then in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, Passed by on the other side. So, so you've got a, a priest. He sees him and passes by. Then you've got a Levite. He stops and looks at him and then passes him by. Okay? Now, we could spend a couple hours about all the hypotheticals and what this means and that means. But the bottom line is this. The priest and the Levite were you and me. So often it's you and me. They came. They saw a situation. And chose to do nothing about it and kept water on the tide on the Okay? Too often, that's how we do life. Even God's people, too often, too often, that's how we do life. Okay. Well, let, let me make it a little more personal. So, the, now this is not, this would not be out of line, what I'm fixing to say. So, the priest, in today's vernacular, In today's vernacular, would be a pastor. A pastor. Okay? And the Levite was the assistant to the priest. So, in today's vernacular, it could easily be a deacon. So, so we have, so we have an accident on 13 and Poplar Street. That new traffic light out there, you know, that's where I usually go. I leave town, I usually go that way or out, out uh, Granger. But I usually go out to the traffic light. And I get there... And there's been a bad accident. No one's on scene yet. No one's on scene yet. And so, laying in the middle of the four-lane highway, two cars have collided, and there's a guy laying there. Okay? And so, as pastor, I, the light turns green. The light's still working. So, I slowly go by, and I look, and then I go, and go on. Okay? And then right behind me, okay, is Bill Cady. Now, Bill's our chairman of deacons, and Bill is a nice guy, okay? So, Bill also comes behind me, and the light is still green, and he even stops in the middle of the intersection, and leans out the window and looks at him, and then keeps on going. 
Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. What would you think of that? What would you think if, if you heard, hey, Brother Dwayne, this is, this is Dave. You know, we've been visiting your church now for, for several months. And I was surprised to learn that you came upon an accident and there was a guy laying in the middle of the road and you didn't do anything. What kind of deal is that? Okay. And then there's another email to Bill Keeney. says, hey, Bill, I know you're chairman of deacons. And I know you guys are supposed to be like servants. And I heard you drove by an accident, and the guy was laying there, and you stopped and looked at him and left him there. Wouldn't that be so weird? I mean, it really would be. It would be, like, so uncharacteristic, all right? So, so my question is, you know, why did they do that? And they did that because it's us. How often do we see a need and we don't respond? It's fully within our power to do something, and yet we choose to do nothing. And you know what we've always got? An excuse. An excuse. Um, someone said an excuse is a recent stuff of the lie. Okay? So, so here's a definition of excuse. Um, an excuse is an attempt to lessen the blame, seek to defend, or justify. So I would respond to the email, oh man, I was really in a, uh, really in a hurry. Um, somebody at Carmel Hospital was going to have a surgery, and I knew if I didn't make for the surgery, it would be a bad deal, and so I didn't have time. Okay? We find some excuse to why Bill and I did not stop. These guys had excuses too. Um, here's, here's five excuses. Okay, Number one is, i got to go. i got to go. You see, they, they had almost certainly, in the story, the priest and the Levite had been away from, away from home for a week. Okay, it's time to get home. Um, the, I heard preachers sometimes throw out, well, they were worried about being defiled. No, because their service is already over. They got a whole week to get clean or more than that to get, get undefiled. So it wasn't a defilement issue. They were just ready to get home to see mom. Okay, got to go. Got to go. Uh, Corey Tim, Tim Boone said this, said, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. If the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. So how many times do we have opportunities to help and we just got to go? Our schedule simply won't allow the opportunity to help. Uh, number two, personal risk. What if? You know, what if, what, if I'm, what if I stop in the middle of the intersection and help that person and a car hits me? Okay? And this, in the case of the story, those thieves and robbers may have left this guy intentionally there so they can get me next. But remember, love is risky. Love is risky business. The third thing is this, um, it's not my fault. You know, uh, he should have been more careful. <laughs> Maybe he should have prayed more. It's not my fault. Nor is it my business. You know, uh, uh, what if he doesn't want help? It's a crazy world we live in. It's really not my business. And then someone else will do it. Someone else will do it. You know, there's a a story that I heard a long time ago, and God brought my mind for this because it's kind of funny, it's kind of cute. I hope it works. You know, it's the story of everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Okay, or or the real story about the priest and the Levite. The real story about the priest and the Levite. It goes something like this. This is a little story about four people. Named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Well, there was a man lying by the road. And everybody was sure that somebody would help. 
Anybody could have helped, but nobody did. Well, somebody got upset about, about it because everybody didn't do it. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't help. So in the, in the end, it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. A few of y'all laughed. But isn't that true? Don't we just assume somebody else will do it? Come on, come on, come on, come on. We come to you as a nominating committee, and you assume somebody else has more time than you, more talent than you, and is less busy than you? Come on. Don't we always assume the sermon's for somebody else? We do. We do. So what happens, I think, is these guys had all these excuses. And they just figured somebody else would take care of it. Well, it didn't happen that way. In verse 33, 1033, the Bible says, next, a Samaritan on his journey came to him. Now, a Samaritan um, was a half-breed Jew. Um, he was half-Gentile and half-Jew. Um, to say that the Jews hate Samaritans would be an understatement. And generally speaking, to say that Samaritans hated Jews would be an understatement. They simply hated each other. The Jews were so pious and so full of it, okay, that they just looked down on the Samaritans. And because the Samaritans felt that put down, they hated the Jews also. But, you know, it could have it could have been a racial thing. It could have been a, a black-white thing, a, a Hispanic-black thing. It could have been racial. It could have been denominational. Well, you know those Methodists. <laughs> you know, you know those, those non-denominations. You know those independent Baptists. It could have easily been a religious thing. And actually, religion played some other. You know, it could have been a generational thing. Well, he's lived 70 years. That's probably long enough. Them crazy young people, you know, they're, they're tattooing everything that can be tattooed and piercing whatever's left. You know, crazy, those crazy young people. It could have been, could have been, it could have been a social thing. If he would have got a job, this wouldn't have happened. If she would have worked, it wouldn't have happened. It could have been any reason, but the bottom line is the most unlikely candidate shows up on the scene. And the Bible says, this is so powerful, he came up to him. Okay? Now, this is interesting. Jesus spent his whole life engaging the people most of us have spent our whole lives trying to avoid. Go ahead and read it on the screen. I want you to get it. Jesus spent his whole life engaging the people most of us spend our whole lives trying to avoid. I, 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 hate, I hate to say this, but it's the truth. Churches in America particularly do a whole lot of avoiding the people. If you don't look right, smell right, dress right, believe right, worship right, you can't go to certain churches. May, may it never be set of doors down. May this be a church where people can come and hear the good news. May this be a safe place where people can come and hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rich or poor, black or white, it does not, should not, shall not matter for, you know, for us as we try to serve. We try to serve the Father. Well, 
When he saw the man, the second part of verse 33, when he saw the man, he had compassion on him. See, he didn't see a Jew. He saw a human. So, may I be blind? So when you see the homeless person and it's pouring down rain and they need a ride, don't think how bad your car might smell. I thought that. When we see people hurting, see people. That's what, that's what this is about. You know, Jesus didn't look at the Romans and said, you're out and, and, and you guys are in. When he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It was the Jewish leaders. It was the Jewish people. It was the Roman soldiers. Jesus died for people, not a class or a color. He died for the whole world. And, and so he had compassion. He was moved to action. He, he, didn't, he didn't see the risk. He didn't see the plot. He didn't see the cost. He saw a man with a need and reacted. You know, remember? Remember? Compassion is love in action. Compassion is love in action. Now, let's take a moment and go through this, this next slide. The kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. I know you can probably read it. Let me read it to you again. The kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly love because it involves sacrifice and presence. God gave this to me today for you and for me. It's a cross kind of love. It's a cross kind of love. Sacrifice, commitment, a cross kind of love. And if you practice that kind of love, you may end up there. Well, Dwayne, why, why, why would I do that? Because you are an experiencer of God's love. Once you've experienced the love of God, it drives you to love like he has loved. It's a love that operates like a sign language and not just words. It's a love that operates like a sign language and not just words. So, so he goes over to him and he bandages his wounds, uh, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he puts him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and take care of him. Now this is just incredible. This is great. And again, if we wanted to play the, let's put meaning to all the words, this obviously would be what Jesus would do. And, and that's good. That's good. This man goes overboard. I even looked up, being the medical professor that uh, professional that I am, um, I've been enough heart surgeries to conduct one. If your kidneys and tonsils out, just come see me. I looked up and triage. I, I knew what triage generally means. It's it's a it's a um, determination of where a person fits in the treatment order. Okay. For instance, if if you want if if you. Ever, If you ever want to be seen in the emergency room fast, mention your heart. You're in, dude. You know, you go in with a stomach ache, you're there for days. Okay, you're there for days. But yeah, heart's a free pass. Okay? What's wrong with your heart? Well, it, it hurts here, but it really hurts here. Kind of fell into my, in my, 
fouls, <laughs> you know. Okay, but the word triage is a scheduling of, of, of you know, treatment for people. And apparently the highest one is ES1. ES1. And you know what that means? Can't wait. It's a word I couldn't say. It's merchant or something. I, I can't say it. But, but it means like right now. Like right now. And, and this, this Samaritan looked at this guy. He did a mental triage in his mind and said, now. I've got to act. I ain't got time to debate it. I ain't got time to check my, my checking account. I ain't got time to check my calendar. I've got to act, and i got to act now. And so he goes over. He, he puts bandages. He pours olive oil and wine in. He puts him on his own beast and then takes him to an inn and takes care of him. By the way, you know how you spell love? T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. So this guy puts his life on hold and goes and ministers to this person. Well, the next day, verse 35, the next day, Jesus, um, next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, okay, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back this way, um, I'm going to reimburse you whatever you spend. Wow. What? Yeah, that's that cross kind of love. That's that cross kind of love. I was going to use State Farm in my introduction and you know, you know, 1971, just like a good neighbor, State Farm said, you know, I, we got your back. We got your back. Here's, here's, what, here's what the guy said, you know, State Farm said in Christmas time. When the Christmas was over, here's what they advertised then. The season of giving ends, but the need remains. So this guy, he said, look, I'm going to minister to you now. Okay, but the need's still there. So when I come back by, I'll reimburse you. The season of giving ends, but the need remains. Hmm. Well, love doesn't love cares more about who's hurting than who's watching. When you love like Jesus, you live like Jesus. You know, if you're like me, um, maybe you aren't. My retirement is totally in the stock market. Uh, that's how some dads do it. And uh, we have a mutual fund. And I told you, don't tell me how much money we lost this week. It's a bunch. It's a bunch. I would normally be panicking, except for I know God's in charge. That's the spiritual answer. <laughs> the spiritual answer is God's in charge. The not spiritual answer is, I know if I live long enough, it'll recoup. They always tell me, don't panic, it'll come back. Don't panic, it'll come back. It's called return on investment. You invest in what kind of return you expect. Well, I need to tell you that this kind of love we're talking about, you know, the one that, that may end you up on a cross, the return on investment is not here. You may give and give and love and love and dare and dare, and you may not see the return here. That's all right. It's long term. Because I promise you this. God's got a really good memory. God's got a really good memory. He's keeping track of you. And the investments you make here, I mean this, are going to pay incredible dividends in heaven. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the economy like is like in heaven. I'm not sure how it all works. I do know that the Bible says that when we're faithful and we're obedient, you know, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I do know that. 
And I do know that Paul talks about a system of rewards. I'm just telling you this. Don't be afraid to give it here because you may not recoup your investment. You may not here, but you will there. Return on investment. Well, fine. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? We had the priest, we had the Levite, and we had the Samaritan. Okay, well, the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy, and then Jesus said, go and do the same. Go and do the same. There's no limits on love. There's no limits on love. Go and do the same. How, how powerful is that? How powerful is that? See, and the command's the same. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Um, it's, throw up that slide. You know, it's black and white. It's black and white. Love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or planning. It just does. Love does. And see, that's what Jesus did. He dared, and he did. Aren't you glad? We say this every once in a while. Aren't you glad he didn't get to the garden and go, oh, that's enough of this. I didn't suffer enough. I didn't do the sweat drops of blood thing. Or perhaps after the scourging, that's enough. Aren't you glad Jesus went all the way? Yeah, sure we are. Sure we are. Sure we are. And, and, and love does. Love does. You know, there's a big push toward theology. And that's not a bad thing. I told you, we need to know why we believe what we believe. But don't dare let your theology replace your love. You're going to find yourself in deep weeds if you do that. Now, the greatest theologian to live besides Jesus was the Apostle Paul. Listen to what the, Paul the theologian said. This is Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision or uncircumcision accomplishes anything. In other words, the busyness of the law accomplishes nothing. What matters, somebody say what matters. That's what Paul the theologian said. What matters is faith working through love. What matters is faith working through love. And like it wasn't enough to say it once, he said it again in Galatians 5.14... Okay, in 5.6 he said, and in Galatians 5.14, for all the law, somebody say all the law. Mm -hmm. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, love your neighbor as yourself. So we need to know theology, we need to know the word of God, but we need to love. And when we as a denomination, and we as a church, and we as individuals put our theology before our love, we are progress in this now, you shouldn't have to choose, by the way. But theology has that... Gives it, if you're not careful, it makes you puppy. And we got to maintain the humility of Christ. we got to be willing to love because love dares. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I know that's like a churchy term, but if you're here and you know, you know what, if I were to die, die now, it wouldn't be heaven. I've got no reason to think that God would let me to heaven. Man, Brent's going to be standing out front in a minute. We'd love to share with you about God's love for you, what Jesus did for you. And if you're here today and you've already trusted Jesus as Savior, I really want you to ask yourself, where are you? Are you the priest or the Levite or the Samaritan? 
Are we one? Are we a people that constantly makes excuses? Are we a constant people who has compassion, love, and action? Love and action. Love dares. Let's pray. Thanks, Father. We need to hear this. There is a world out there and they are just not impressed with our words. They're not impressed with our words. And Jesus, one of the reasons you did so many miracles was simply to prove and show your love. And Father, I'm asking if you'll help us as a church, as individuals, to make sure we love like you. It's risky. It's dangerous. But it's necessary. For my friend who might be here today who never has trusted Jesus, maybe today was the first time he heard about it. And he's always said, what what I have to do to go to heaven? I pray today he heard it clearly. It's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be forgiven. I thank you for that. Father, as individuals and as a church and as a denomination, teach us to love. Teach us to love. How? Jesus, like you love. Have your way in this service, this invitation time, as it is yours. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.